I remember being a young bishop and having a member of my ward tell me they don't believe as they used to, and they have begun to question their faith. The hardest part of these scenarios was that it felt like they were looking to me for answers, when in reality, they were coming to me looking for support and hope. These leadership scenarios can quickly remind you how unprepared you might be to minister to individuals or loved ones in your life who've begun to question their faith. This is why Leading Saints created the Questioning Saints Library, where we interviewed over 20 experts with the intent to better understand how we can help individuals who are starting to question their faith. For all the details on how you can access the Questioning Saints Library, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash questioning. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash questioning. What we have here is another episode of the Leading Saints podcast. My name is Kurt Frankham, and this is a podcast where we dive into the concepts, principles, the, the world of leadership, all in the context of being a Latter day Saint. More specifically, serving in leadership callings as a Latter-day Saint. And if you're new, I'm glad you are here. We hope that you will venture off to leadingsaints.org as well and check out uh, articles there, join the newsletter, social media. There's many resources, and we're glad you found us. Now, I'm excited to welcome back to this podcast, Greg McEwen, who I actually interviewed him back in August of 2016, and uh, he was one of my longtime bucket list uh, interviews that I wanted to make sure I tracked down and brought on to the Leading Saints podcast. And I always, since that interview, again, if you haven't heard it, we'll link to it in the show notes, but you definitely have to go back and listen to it. You don't necessarily need to listen to it in, in any order before or after this interview, but definitely make sure it's your, your next one. And the easiest way to find it is just to scroll down in your feed to that uh, August of 2016, and you'll find it there. So it's called Being an Essentialism Bishop. And Greg is the author of the book, Essentialism, which is a phenomenal book. It is a life-changing book. And I, and I don't say that with much hyperbole, that essentialism, the disciplined pursuit of less. And talking with Greg about these uh, concepts in the context of being a latter saint is so enriching and is so helpful because it can be overwhelming. These callings and these uh, roles as, as a parent, uh, having a job, and then also a calling and all these things, it can be overwhelming. And Greg, in this interview that you're about to hear, does such a masterful job of turning us back to the the, the pure and simple right? The, the small and simple uh, things in our lives and focuses that we have. And he even turns the tables on me one point, asks me some questions, which is so helpful in guiding me through down the path of really identifying how simple change can be, but how life-defining that simple change can be and removing the overwhelm in so many of these decisions. And the way he articulates things, especially with his British accent, doesn't hurt. It is so inspiring and helpful. And I know that, uh, You'll be grateful to listen to this. And at the end, we'll uh, and we'll also put in the show notes, he is starting a, he has recently started a, a podcast himself called the Essentialism Podcast. And it's definitely on my uh, subscription list and one that I, I turn to and I'm excited to hear um, interviews with some big influencers and interesting people all around this concept of creating an essentialist, uh, essentialism life, focusing on the, the most essential. So, you're going to enjoy it. Here is my interview with Greg McEwen, the author of Essentialism and the host of the Essentialism Podcast. 
Today, I have the opportunity to welcome back to the podcast, Greg McCune. How are you, Greg? It's so great to be with you, Kurt. Yeah, no, I'm, I always look forward to a conversation with you. I remember uh, originally when we first connected back in 2016, like trying to track down mystery centralisms, like, oh, this guy doesn't just check his emails all day. Like, how do you get a hold of this guy? But uh, thankfully, uh, we were able to connect and uh, had a great interview, and I'm looking fo- to uh, follow up on on that conversation we had uh, four years ago, I guess it was. Well, th- thank you for making the time, Kurt. So uh, tell us, I'm curious when we, the last time we've talked, you were at the time serving as a, as a bishop in, uh, I want to say Menlo Park area. Is that right? That's right. And so uh, tell us, you're, I think you've moved since then. Is that right? Maybe just tell us the, the, your leadership journey in the church since then. Yes, we moved to uh, Southern California to Calabasas area, a little town called Hidden Hills. And uh, it's been really the most uh, delightful journey and adventure um, and uh, I, I couldn't uh, get out of too much trouble. I was called as the high priest group leader, which of course then uh, shifted to elders quorum president when those changes happened. <laughs> oh, nice. Which then shifted to uh, the same role, but doing doing it through a, a COVID environment. So, uh, so the, the the opportunity and challenge continues. Nice. So, are you're currently the elders quorum president then? That's right. Oh, that's great. That's great. So any, uh, as far as in this, this COVID world, I mean, any, anything unique that your ward or quorum has been doing, uh, to, to stay connected? Well, we do, um, once a month we'll have a, you know, a, a live uh, lesson. Uh, so very much like we were before all of this and the camaraderie that exists in this elders quorum is, uh, is unique and really beautiful. Uh, there is a genuine concern for each other, uh, a love for each other, uh, a good feeling amongst uh, amongst the brethren. Um, when when I was first uh, called as high priest group leader, uh, it was to a group of people who were were, were older. Uh, uh-huh. and they were like my grandfather, the, the greatest generation. These were just uh, stalwarts who had been strong for so long, uh, and. And I'd learned lessons too from serving as bishop that uh, that shaped how uh, I approached working with uh, with this new this new group. Uh, and among those lessons was go small, uh, d- make tiny changes in the things you do often. Hmm. Don't go big. Uh, don't go too big. Don't be overwhelming. <laughs> uh, go. Uh, you know, the scriptural term, of course, is small and simple. By small and simple means are great things brought to pass. Uh, and even though that's introduced uh, in Alma as, you know, you will think this is foolish, he says, and then he introduces this. And even though we've had all these years to read that, I think sometimes in our leadership efforts, we still think that somehow that's foolish, or at least we put it aside almost, well, yes, that won't do it. If you're trying to do great things, you have to do it in big, great ways. Hmm. Uh, but that's exactly opposite of what that principle in Scripture teaches. And, and as I've leaned into that principle, I've been amazed at its power. And so instead of, okay, first thing mo- most people do when they're in this new calling, they say, okay, well, we're going to reorganize every assignment, every, of course, it was home teaching then, uh, every home teaching assignment must be reorganized. And you spend all of that early time and asset and opportunity changing everything hmm. and you're sort of upsetting the, uh, the, the cart. 
and you're not actually making any more progress, you're just making change. The first rule we said, we're not going to change anything. <laughs> we want every assignment the same. We just want to make a tiny improvement. And we did that. And for the first five months of that calling, we just increased home teaching in a very calm way. We celebrated every success. No more of this, please, brethren, you are not doing it. You need to do it. We only have 50% of it done. <laughs> this, If this approach worked, it would, it would already have worked. Right, right, yep. So there's no need to try that again. So we just celebrated every victory, however small it was, and broadcasted that loud, amplified that, and celebrated it together. Every month it increased to the point it, there was, I mean, I don't know if it was literally 100%, but it was so close it was hardly worth saying anything different. It's just every person was being visited every month. That was just became the norm. And so right after that, then we moved to ministering. Uh, well, I think actually we moved to combining them. I can't remember the order now. Yeah, yeah. And, and we've just continued to have these tiny experiments. Uh, and and the, as I say, the, the, the success of this has really been, for me, striking. Yeah. Now, and I love that concept as far as sometimes we get trapped uh, or caught up in this idea that change, it feel, when we're changing stuff, it feels like progress or it feels like we're getting work done, right? And, and that, that's very um, a typical scenario you may find in church leadership is, yeah, you're reorganizing or maybe you're splitting a ward or you're doing this work that it feels like, wow, I'm exhausted. We must be getting a lot done, but uh, you know, we're only laying a foundation. And a lot of times that change may not even be necessary for the progress that we desire. Right. Yes, change is not the same as progress. And change doesn't have to be hard and abrupt. Uh, right. and, and every time I've made an effort to make change in an abrupt way, I have found that that was uh, a fool's bargain, uh, false economy. Uh, much better to avoid the predictable problems of trying to do change in a big way and instead do the small and simple continual improvement. Uh, we just implemented, I'll give you some examples. We implemented. Yeah, I love it. Um, okay, family history. I mean, mm -hmm. you say the word. <laughs> I just about hung up on you, Greg. Exactly. I'm just saying. <laughs> you, you're already almost out. So is everybody else. We've all heard it. Um, Sister Nelson, you know, uh, President Nelson's wife, in her excellent book, um, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But just, just, I just finished it, but I, the name I don't recall. The, the, she, she talks about how family history used to set her asleep. She said it would, it would make her fall asleep faster than any other subject, any other thing. Uh, but it changed for her. Now, what we did. Is it The Heavens Are Open? Yeah, well, The, the Heavens Are Open. What an excellent book that is. Um, it, what, what we did is was inspired by President Packer from years ago. He said what every member of the church can do right now family history is they can pray for their ancestors every day hmm. that's it so instead of overwhelming us with a sense of you know the the impossibly big task of family history i mean you no one can do family history family history is a massive project it's an ongoing life's journey you can't do it <laughs> you can do a tiny thing within it 
And so we said this. We said the target is this. Every day we are to pray for our family, for, for our, you know, for our family. Ancestors. Uh-huh. Thank you. Uh, and also just sign into family search and nothing else. You, you didn't have to do one more thing. You didn't have to be productive when you got there. You just wanted the little um, ritual of praying for them and then just signing in. And this was our target, 30 days of doing this. And then we had a, a follow-up uh, just recently, so 30 days later. And, uh, and of course, what you found is that people had had successes because it's so, so easy. It's like too small to fail. Hmm. Uh, people would take action. And one of the uh, brethren in the, the ward, now he said it, not my, my words, he said, normally I don't like these kinds of challenges and invitations, but this time I just thought, well, that seems, you know, I could do that. Uh, and, <laughs> and he ended up, getting completely drawn into it. He reported back to us that he's spending 40 hours a week working on family history now. Wow, I hope he's retired. <laughs> 300 names in his own family. He's done people that he works with. He's done their names back, hundreds of names. He got completely pulled into it. Now, I'm not saying everyone did that or even everyone ought to do that because I don't think right, that's right. Totally right. But the tiny beginning uh, enabled this to become you know, people were able to rise to whatever level they can currently do. And I think yeah. this is so important because so, so often I find that, uh, that efforts to inspire members of the church to greater heights actually just overwhelm them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't it, produce more family history. It just produces more overwhelm about family history. <laughs> Right, the more more guilt trips and shame, and, and that uh, that's never helpful, right? Um, and, and it really goes back to this concept that you mentioned that you know the small and simple of it all. And um, you know, I, I, it takes my mind to uh, the work that Vital Smarts does with their book Influencer. They talk about these vital behaviors, like these simple behaviors that are so shortened, but they propel you into motivation to do more or to find a deeper passion in in whatever project you're working in. Yeah, I, I just think that uh, one, I mean, we cover it, I do cover it, it briefly in Essentialism as a chapter on small steps, uh, but I've definitely found that uh, as a leadership practice, it's an underutilized practice. And so what happens is that it isn't so much that people jump in, get completely overwhelmed and quit. It's more like people just feel overwhelmed from the first moment and never start. Mm-hmm. And so, so whatever the subject is, whatever we're trying to build, I think we want to be looking for what is the easiest, tiniest, smallest thing that we could do in one minute inexpensively to be able to improve in this area uh, and then celebrate that tiny action. Elder Bednar talks about faith being clearly always a principle of action. Well, we know that that's not doctrinally new to us. But if you think about that, you realize, well, yes, it's far better to take one minute step worth of progress than it is to talk about it for an hour and not to take a step forward. And mm-hmm. so in the, when we were kicking this off as a quorum, uh, half of the lesson was actually signing in, was <laughs> helping every person. We did it real time while we were in our Zoom meeting. It made sure that every person could access their own, you know, tools on their phone so that they could have their password and sign in correct so that they could go on to family search right then and sign in and 
On the top right-hand corner, there's a little to-do section. So that's the place to begin. You just tap on there. It already has some to-dos for you. And within that one hour, we had already taken more action than in some previous lessons, you know, where you try and do a big launch and a week, a month later, nothing's actually been done. You just talked about it again. So you became more professional in talking about the subject than doing it, than propelling forward. And, and, and to me, the, the energy that gets produced when you make a tiny step forward and actually do it, that first concrete step, that, that you know, think of that step like the uh, children of Israel with the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, that first step they had to take to go into uh, the, 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 the Red Sea. It, it wasn't about talking about it. It wasn't about the 50th step or the 100th step or the 1,000th step. It was to take that first tiny step that began the miracle. Yeah. No, I love that. And especially, it's it's hard to get caught up in the grandiose visions or the, the big ideas, especially when you think about, well, we're building the kingdom of God, right? So we, we're, we're going to manifest a a significant miracle in our in our realm. We're going to baptize the town or we're going to do these things. And, and so when the when the mission of it all is to build the kingdom of God, it sometimes makes us feel like, yeah, our, our vision of that or the first step has to be just as grandiose. But that that oftentimes is a is a trap that sets you back more than propels you forward. Yes, and this is exactly the idea is that have the grandest vision possible, fine. But match the grandness of your vision with the tiniest of steps. Hmm. The grander the vision, the smaller the first step. Uh, as, as I remember in conference, somebody once said, teaching that after all, what most of the people did most of the time as they crossed the plains was take another step. Yeah. We honor and we ought to honor the stories of acute suffering and sacrifice on that journey. But we ought not to let those inspiring, courageous heroic moments cloud from our vision what really was going on the majority of the time. And that was, you know, people of all ages, including children, well, I remember the primary hymn, you know, and they walked and walked. Yeah. yeah. That's how yeah. it's actually done. And it's, it's believing, it's having the faith that the Lord really will bless us as we take that each tiny step in faith that great miracles, great results, extraordinary results will come to pass. Yeah, no, I love that. So it's it's inspiring for sure. So I'm I'm clear, curious. Just uh, now that you have the the gift of hindsight on on your calling as, as bishop, um, obviously that calling, just like many callings, but that calling in particular, especially in my own life, it changes an individual uh, in, in in unique ways. And and I'm curious, just with hindsight, looking back on that, you know, you talk about the small and simple principle, which obviously you've you've written about in in, uh, in your book and so forth. But any anything else um, as you reflect back on your time as bishop that that you learned or cherish or anything like that? Well, one thing that comes to mind is the the, the near universality of human suffering. Hmm. Um, we, we, we talk about this now in, with, with my new calling and a new environment uh, quite frequently, which is that if, if I ask one of, the, one of the brethren, if I say, well, how is brother so-and-so, how is sister so-and-so? And they say, oh, yes, I checked another. They're fine. They're fine. 
Well, that's, that, that is fine too. You know, that's, that should not be knocked. But what I feel like saying, and we do try to kindly say, is that if you think they're fine, it's probably that you don't actually know them hmm. very well. Because almost everyone, almost all of the time, has something hard and challenging going on. So our job is in very small and continuous ways to build enough of a relationship that we start to become aware of that. Uh, and, and, and in the same way as the drip line, you know, achieves the watering of some you know, great oak trees through this drip, drip approach, in a similar way, what we want to do is to show enough consistent kindness enough consistent following up, even from a very short phone call or from a text, but to do it repeatedly, uh, that people start to feel safe with us. They start to feel that we are going to be there for them. And so then they start to tell us the normal things of their life, the normal struggles of their life. Uh, and and I, I just, you know, as, as Bishop, you, you're in this um, extraordinary opportunity to serve where people come from the second that you're called, you know, from the moment you're called, it's one of the strangest transitions of, of, of my life, you're called in the meeting, uh, you're set apart immediately following a sacrament meeting, and that's it. Everybody leaves, all the state leaders leave, <laughs> and there's a line of people waiting there. And they don't want to talk to Greg, they are coming to talk to their bishop. And, and they, they are hoping for the blessings of heaven for a number of challenges. Well, there's all sorts in that moment that happens, but one of the things you start to discover is people who didn't appear to be struggling have struggles. It's universal. Well, that has great impact for living life with greater empathy and compassion, um, but it also has implication for just trying to, uh, to, to recognize that fine is probably not a very truthful answer. Right. No, I love that because that is sort of the uh, the go-to answer that we we have in our culture. And and I've, I saw a funny meme on uh, on uh, Babylon Bee's a satirical a Christian uh, news site. And they talk about how one pastor discovered that his word is generally doing, quote, fine, right? And it's just sort of this word we, we default to. And it is sort of a, uh, maybe a wall, right? That people put up uh, a facade that... Uh, hopefully that will get you to go away because if you understood the suffering or you understood the mess, maybe you wouldn't want to deal with me or you wouldn't want to know how to serve me or those things. But uh, it is a challenge maybe to get past the fine and, and discover the suffering in all of that. Yes. And I think it's again, by small and simple means, it's just asking uh, it's, it's really, it's actually being a friend, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, it's not, you know, and, and being a friend consistently and asking the question a second and third time, how are you? No, no, really, come on, how are you? Mm -hmm. What's really going on? Uh, let me tell you something that's a mess in my life right now. Let me tell you what's going on. And I don't mean anything forced, but there isn't a week in my life that I'm not trying to grapple with something new or interesting or challenging or uh, strained in some way. I mean, this is life. This is the test that we've been told we're here in mortality to fulfill. So we shouldn't be surprised when life is full of tests. That's what it is. 
So that's true for everyone we are called to serve, to minister to, and whatever calling we are, whether we're serving as bishop, uh, relief size president, elders, quorum president, and any yeah. every calling has uh, a challenge. And in these times, we need to do that double clicking, not in an overwhelming way, uh, but 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 let's not assume things are okay. Yeah, let, 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 because you know basically they're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so in the context of suffering, I mean, obviously that that bishop's office has a, is a sacred place where many individuals, w- when they have nowhere else to turn, they maybe set that appointment up and and, and come and lay that suffering on that desk. And and uh, as a bishop, that can be overwhelming. Was there, or or you get in this mode of like thinking, oh yeah, it's my job to fix this suffering or to make it go away, and and that can be a whole. Um, a whole other issue that that doesn't lead to a good place when you're just trying to fix everybody's problems. But any any thoughts on your approach when those individuals would bring that suffering to your office and and look for guidance? Well, I think one of the things I observed in my experience as being bishop was, you know, we talk about bishops being like the father of the ward. Hmm. But really what I felt the experience was, was just being like a mother. Uh, not even the mother of the ward. It's just what I observe a mother doing. You know, my wife, of course, uh, mother of our four, chil- four children, uh, but but many other mothers. The range of motion that the job is asking is um, is quite um, extraordinary. It, it's sometimes on the edge of being a little inhumane um, because. You know, I'm talking in parallel here about two different roles, but 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 as bishop, one of the challenges is that you're, you know, you're in administrative meetings, followed by you may be conducting the sacrament meeting, uh, followed by uh, you may be teaching a class, or you may be teaching a youth class, or maybe you're teaching uh, the, the the primary, and you've got a whole event that's going on there. Followed by that, you may have a series of appointments. You know, everything from hey, let's talk about financial needs to to serious. Uh, serious marital problems to serious. I mean, the, 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 it is extraordinary. And so I have generally felt uh, quite on a mission wherever I've been asked in, in, in any, um, any opportunity I've had from an influence point of view with the church headquarters, where I've been asked sometimes to come in and teach, uh, you know, teach essentialism. I've tried to advocate on behalf of the bishops of the, uh, of the world. Uh, and, and by extension, every uh, demanding calling because it's so easy when you're creating stuff to to not really be be fully honest about what can actually be implemented hmm. you you each siloed group is trying to optimize their piece of uh, of the of the ward experience but but when you actually bring it back to the ward, you have a ward council for an hour a week. I mean, that's if I'm not all wards even do that much. So yeah, you know, exactly. If you're doing it, we, we would do it for an hour a week. And now in the, the current what I'm in, that's we, we do a ward council every couple of weeks now uh, just for an hour. I mean, how much can seriously be implemented in that time? But you right. have to be very honest, more honest about what can actually be filtered through. And we have to be much, uh, I mean, really, what I, what I want 
uh, is for those that are creating curriculum and, and, and agenda and so on for implementation to show me on a week's calendar where it fits. This new idea, that's great. I'm wonderful. Show me where it fits. Show me what's already on the calendar in, a, in an average one-week period for a bishop, and now show me what, where this goes into it. If we put this new thing in there, what comes off? Because as soon as you do that, you, it's quite a frustrating exercise because you, yeah. <laughs> you suddenly realize there's hardly any available time for these things. And so if you're not honest about it, what happens is that it gets implemented in a very different way than you imagined or not implemented at all. So again, you just produce extra stress rather than actual extra progress in establishing Zion. Yeah. And, and, you know, use this term silos and it's so true where you have all these capable people on a ward council, but they, they sort of live in their own silo and, and focus on their own problems or on their own quorum or relief society. And they come to that one, once a week hour meeting, hoping that they, they get enough time to solve the problems that they see in their, their, their quorum or, or group. And it's up to that bishop to really bring that honesty into the room and saying, listen, like we've got to look at this straight and make sure that we're focusing on the essential or else we'll never get anything done because there's, there's too much to do, right? Yes. And when you get, when you get from above you many, many inputs into what needs to happen, everything is the priority, uh, I think it can make that translation awfully difficult. Uh, and, and so... And so this isn't a faithless perspective in my, my view at all. It's just being, uh, it's trying to really be wise about, about how you create change at the ward level. As President Hinckley said, in a sense, the church is never any larger than a ward. Hmm. And so when you're designing it, it must be designed for one normal, sensible ward. How would you go forward in this? But I have a question for you, Steve. Okay. All right. <laughs> to, to, get, to get our conversation even, even more real. So what, what is your current calling right now? What, what are you up to? So I'm uh, technically I'm the priest quorum advisor, but we just moved out of that ward. Um, but we, are, we, haven't, we don't have a, a uh, home yet. <laughs> so I'm at my in-laws right now. But uh, so wherever we land, then we'll transfer our records. But technically my records are still in that ward and I've been the priest quorum advisor. But what you're telling me is that you're in this very unusual sweet spot moment where <laughs> no one actually has a, a, an, an expectation of you. That's what That's you're right. saying, isn't it? Well, other than this audience who demands an episode a week, you know, so. But, but nobody, nobody in the ward level, because yes. I remember when we transitioned here to this new ward, there was this week period. Once we were here, that nobody really knew we were here. We'd let people know, but they're not really expecting anything. No one has a calling. No one's asking us to do anything. And and I thought again, this is this was uh, this was such a such a difference. Uh, and it's okay. So that's that's your current situation. And um, well, let me ask you this question because I think that, uh, that I think this could be an interesting way to unpack essentialism in practice. So uh, whether whether in the ward level. Or not? Here's a question for you. What is something that's essential to you that you're underinvesting in? Oof, like in the context of uh, my church calling? Well, you yeah, but you don't have one okay. right now, so I don't know right, right. you want to answer it. You can answer it with your okay. existing priest, or you could just say it for your life. Because everybody who's listening to this, in addition to whatever their church calling is, has a life too. Right. So 
Yeah. Something so essential that you're under-investing in. Don't overthink oh, it. First thought. I, I would say definitely like uh, as a father, right, of a of an eight-year-old, five-year-old, and a two-month-old, um, there's those moments where I'm like, ah, you know, I could be invested more then. And that is in my mind when I sit down and ask what matters most, you know, what is most essential in this moment? That's you default to family, right? And so you just never, at least myself, I can only speak for myself. Uh, I just never feel like I reach that bar consistently of being invested enough in my children because a lot of times they're 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 more difficult. You are much more easy to connect with and have a conversation with than you know my five year old who who I try, but I feel like I, I I fail more often than not. But yeah, what you just told me is it's it's easier to have an adult to adult conversation right. with someone on your podcast than it is to have a meaningful uh, whole conversation that doesn't feel stressful with your five year old with your children. It's easier. That's what you're saying. Right. Yes. Yes. But you're also saying, telling me, but I, I feel uh, some strain about that because I know these little people matter mo- more than anyone else. But currently, I just find it harder. That's what you're telling me. Exactly. Yes. I, I would say that my relationship as their father figure, you know, I have the the highest amount of influence on the the long the pro, the trajectory of their life right going forward is that relationship with their father or, or their mother right uh, and so that's where I feel like ah, I got to really make sure I show up there. You know that the long term impact on their life on every aspect of their life is immense, based upon whether you take a genuine interest in them, whether you invest in them fully, or whether you're just around exactly correct and and i'm reading into it but what i think i heard you say is i worry that i am doing more of the just being around than i am actually having a relationship being their dad not just being when you use the phrase father figure right but you're not the father figure right you you are the father Right. Uh, yes. <laughs> and and not, not just that, we want to go from father figure to father and from father yes. to dad. Like, uh, it's someone that there's an on, and I think that's what you're saying is that you're concerned that that, that that isn't really as rich as you would like it to be right now. Yes? Yes. Yes. Correct. Let me ask you this. Thank you for sharing that. Let me, let, let's go a little deeper this. Um, one more time at this. Why does it matter so much? You said a long-term impact and so on. Give me one more even deeper. Why? So what? So what? Why does it matter? Um, well, I guess I just, I know that, um, you know, as I've, especially as I've, I have looked at, you know, concepts like addiction and, um, you know, faith building and testimony, like all these things that are so, they feel so crucial to an individual's life in the future. A lot of that is always tied back to that parental relationship and how, how that either, how the gospel is portrayed or those foundational experiences. Um, and, and, you know, so that father, you know, being fathered by somebody appears to me to have such a, as, a huge impact on their life in the future. So I, I don't know if I'm repeating myself, but that's what I'm. Yes, but go. you, what you did this time is you got more concrete. And what you said, I think, is that there are these predictable problems that 
that could happen in a future. Right. And that those problems could be solved before they happen by choices yeah. you make right now. Or not just solve, but it's one of those things like, I don't think it's like an, an equation that if I do these certain things as a father, they'll res, they'll avoid those problems. But even if they have those problems, I hope that in their mind, they'll always know, well, my father loves me and I don't know anywhere to turn, so I'll turn to him. Yes, right? you're like, saying it's an insurance policy in a way because you're saying, look, they have agency. You're not trying to manipulate the, their future. Right. They can choose whatever they want, but if you have enough of a relationship now, they'll they, the chance of them coming to themselves and turning to their father and running, you know, you want them to imagine that if they ever turn up in some future scenario in trouble, that you would be the kind of father, the kind of dad who would run to them. Right. Yes. You want that to be so clear to them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So let's, let's ask this now. What does success look like to you tangibly? Um, to me, I I didn't mean to interrupt you, but like, in, give me in like minutes per day or minutes per week or what? Like, try and turn this into like something measurable. Uh, so success that's measurable, like in the context of this father yes. experience. Okay, I would say success to me, like I always go back to the word of legacy. I hope that my children, at the end of their life or the end of my life, as they're all gathered around me, hopefully far off in the distance, um, that they have an overwhelming sense of legacy, because that concept of legacy, I feel like, projects um, motivation. Um, it encourages my posterity to continue a legacy that maybe I've established or carried, you know, further down the field, and by doing that. By furthering a legacy, the overall sum of it is uh, further glory to our Father in Heaven who created all of us, right? Now, <laughs> I did not give you a measurable no, thing, true. but I, I don't know how to measure that, Greg. And that, that's what it comes to. You said, okay, so this is sort of the on your deathbed type of thought experiment. Uh, what will I want my relationship to be like with them then? I want them to be able to feel a sense of of connection to me, that they are inspired to continue on good work and to be themselves good, uh, good mothers and fathers and, 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 to, and to keep this uh, faith strong in their children and grandchildren and so on. This is one long-term test of success for you. That's what I heard you say. Yes. And I'm not sure how to measure that per se. But. Well, let me ask you this way. I mean, what's the delta? So when you say, I want that long-term view and I and I want to be a father in their life, and I want to be close to them, uh, but I feel like I'm underinvesting in it. I I assume, and I'm sure I'm right in assuming that it's not currently at zero. Your investment is oh, no. zero. So, right. <laughs> what's the delta? What's the additional thing that you say? You know, it's not like I would be perfect, but I would feel good about my current investment if I was doing what in addition. Okay. So I would say just like more like, and to, to quantify it more specifically, like an hour out of each of my days that is completely focused and engaged on their level, right? Uh, so that they have like substance to their memories with me and, and, and not just like, oh, let's watch a movie together, but more like, let's have a conversation or let's go do something. Let's build something. Let's that to me 
would probably be all it would take. Okay. You just said to me, uh, make a memory every day. Yes. Uh, the, okay. So you said an hour, what are you doing currently on this? I don't mean time spent with them. I mean, this type of, you know, playful interaction, doing something they would enjoy, you know, that sort of thing. How much are you doing right now? Honest answer. Um, I would say on average, 15 to 20 minutes a day. I don't, uh, uh, you know, generally speaking, uh, but it's all split up, right? Five minutes here, a quick, uh, hey, dad, help me with this there, you know, that sort of thing. Okay. So it's reactive mostly. Yes. And, and it's and it's just in, in little minutes here and there. And what you're envisioning is more deliberate, intentional time in your part where you say, I am really here. I'm available. Yes. Yes. And I want to do what is fun for you in this moment. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about what that would really look like. So what is something that your oldest child would like to do? Uh, you know, what, what are they already interested in? Um, they are, well, this is my eight-year-old daughter. So lots of mermaids, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, coloring, uh, you know, we, I do every night we've been reading the Harry Potter series. So as she falls asleep at night, I, she looks forward to that and, and asks for it. Like, all right, let's, let's do another chapter, dad. Like one, let's, let's do that. And that's been, that's been phenomenal. Right. So, so um, if you increase that, for example, would that, would that meet your criteria? Like instead of a chapter a night, if you said, okay, I'm going to read three chapters a night, that right. would meet this goal. Yeah, possibly, but I guess it comes down to like, like even though I maybe on some days that I do feel adequately uh, invested in these relationships, there's always that you know the adversary I would say that's always reminding me that it's just not enough, right? Like, well, you could have done four chapters, but you only did three, right? And and that's that's another trap that you fall into. So maybe at the end of the day, or or in the future, my children are interviewed and they would say, "Whoa, my dad." did more than adequate as far as spending personal time with us. But in the moment, maybe that's my, the, the shame that, that naturally we feel in all of our efforts uh, to, to live up to a certain standard that we create in our, in our mind. Right. Does that make sense? It does. What you just did is introduce something different into our conversation. You said, <laughs> what if, what if really what's going on here is that I feel overburdened by a sense of needing to be something uh, when actually I'm doing the right things, but I feel this somehow temptation to criticize myself for not having done enough. Yes. Yes. Uh, that's really interesting, right? Like now we ought to ask, well, which is it? Right. You know, yeah. And, right. Because that and, matters. Right. And I think that's, I, it goes back to like a, the general discussion that we all experience, especially in the church. It's like, well, when is enough enough? Right. Like when, you know, even when I go through these process of like what matters most, like what if 50% of what we are doing really matters most, but we take it, we double that, right? Just be out of this game of, of trying to um, live up to the standards that we create in our own lives. Yes. I, I think that there's we, that clarifying this point together is going to be key going forward for you in this task. If it's, if what you're really doing is feeling unnecessarily guilty, right? If what you're feeling right, right. is is uh, is opposition, demeaning your current contribution, uh, then your action will be really different. 
Right. If it's a spiritual prompting saying, look, just there's a little more here and you can do it. You can do you can do a little better and, and I'm going to help you do it. You know? Yeah. Yes. So, which is it? Well, that's the that's the question. That's a million dollar question, right? And and I don't. I guess that that's. Uh, would you say it's like a prayerful journey to get to that to really understand how much is enough? Yes, I do think that. But for this purpose of this conversation, I just want your like real, honest answer to that question right now. Like, take take a moment right now and tell me which it is. Let me give you five <laughs> seconds. Tell me which it is. Okay, I would say I'm probably doing enough. But there's definitely an opportunity to do more. <laughs> Was that a cop out answer? I don't know. But, <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I feel pretty good. Like when I really look at myself as a father in the lives of, of my dear children, like I f- they do feel my love. They respect me. They love these interactions and hope that there's always more in the future. Right. So. I think that is a terrific answer. Let me let me suggest this question to you. What you know, the thing that comes to my mind as we're talking is is what if you were to simply ask your oldest two children? You just ask them, "Hey, how am yeah. I doing?" Yeah. You could ask them this way. You could say, "Look, if I were to spend one minute more with you doing something, you get to choose. What would it be? Hmm. What would you like me to do? One minute. I know we do lots of things. We do that, but I'm just saying, if you had a minute that was just all yours, what would you do?" And see what they say. I've had, I've had many formal interviews with each of my children, but I've had many, many more informal conversations. And starting right. when they were very young, would ask them, what can I do better? What would yeah. you like me to do more of? Yeah. What would you like me to do less of? And, and if I could go back in time with my current understanding, I would make it more specific in the way I've suggested with you. It's like, what's one minute more of something? Would it be one minute more of Harry Potter? Would it be one minute more of going on a a bike ride together? Would it be one minute? Like, what is it? And to think in terms of those tiny increments, a tiny amount more of something. I mean, you could ask it the other way, which is, what's, what's one thing you wish I wouldn't do anymore? You know, just, is there anything I'm doing that just makes our relationship a little bit tricky for you? I think mm-hmm. most, most parents listening to this know that there are things. Oh, yeah. We can feel very guilty about those things, but again, give it in the tiniest increment. I mean, I'll just give an example of my own life right now that, that isn't parenting-based directly, but is interesting. Uh, I, I, uh, I, when I wake up in the morning, I struggle to go back to sleep, which is sort of a blessing in a lot of ways because it means I get up, I'm writing a new book now, and, uh, and, and uh, so I get up and write, and I really feel a sense of mission and passion about doing it. And so that's the good side. But the downside is sometimes you wake up, it's early in the morning, and you really know you need to sleep. But I yeah. still want to get up. And I've tried a variety of things to, to improve this. Uh, but the best thing I've tried is the try to sleep for one more minute. That's it. Just sleep a one more minute. Well, it's so, it's so small, it's hard to fail at that. And, and I literally just this morning did it and went, fell back completely to sleep. The, you know how rare that is. I slept a lot longer. I woke up again for another hour later and I was like, well, I'll just try one more minute. And I did it again. <laughs> And it was like another hour, and it was really good for me to be able to get that extra sleep. These tiny adjustments, I think, are the Lord's mechanism in the vast majority of the cases for change. Remember mm-hmm. President Hinckley, and I believe, this is my own story, I'm making this up, but I believe that this came because of a lifetime of trying to 
lead and 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 bring about change and learning through error and so on. Remember when he was president of the church, he said, try a little harder. Stand a little taller. <laughs> I mean, what a phrase. Stand yeah. a little taller. Do it's it, that that little feels like it probably got added through experience. We we don't change in massive ways. Well, we can change in massive ways, but it's very hard to make them sustainable. Even when I heard you say at the beginning, I didn't want to call you on it because whatever, but <laughs> you said I like an hour extra, and I thought to myself, "No, that's not the way to begin." <laughs> you know, like it sounds yeah. good, but yeah. I mean, how how are you going to add just another hour? Just boom! But you say, "Hey, I'm going to stand one more minute, asking them how they're doing. One yeah. more minute, drawing a picture with them. Oh, that's way more doable." Right? Yeah. And and I can see it. And other people can't see your face, but I can see in your face. Something which I interpret as like, well, that's relieving, right? Yeah. Well, and here's here's the here's the thing is that again it goes back to this discussion of like you know as we were talking before when you're trying to build the kingdom of God like I can give more than a minute right like you get in this mode of like well I'm a father like of course I, there's 24 hours in a day that they my children could deserve at least one of those hours right but but that's sort of the trap you get into when you look at the grandiose thing you're doing, you can get caught up in the grandiose commitment that it takes, right? Which isn't necessary. Theodore Roosevelt said, do what you can with what you have where you are. Hmm. And I've been reflecting on that this week. Uh, Do what you can with what you have where you are. People listening to this, a lot of people are dealing with all sorts of unexpected challenges, right? I mean, I don't know anybody who hasn't lost something. Uh, in COVID times. And we don't know how long this goes on for, and the uncertainty is, is, is the greatest level of uncertainty that, uh, that I've experienced or seen the world experiencing. Uh, even as I say that, there, I do believe there are many, many upsides, and I've experienced some of those myself too. But regardless of that, it can be overwhelming to try to improve or to change. And as soon as it's overwhelming, what happens is that the amygdala, right, that part of our brains that, that stimulates fear and stimulates fear in order to survive, uh, and, and that fear produces, um, familiar territory for people here, but produces uh, fight, flight, or freeze responses, hmm. which actually what's happening is, it, is a tremendous narrowing of your options, uh, but not in a helpful way. As soon as you're in fight, flight, or freeze, that's just like nothing. You've got all of the richness of life out there is not available to you. When we feel overwhelmed, when we feel anxiety, that's like an adult word, anxiety, stress, for fear. We're feeling fear. So the amygdala takes over. And so we feel very stuck. We've got three options. We can freeze. That's literally being stuck. We can fight. Well, that's pretty stuck. That's not going to go well because conflict begets conflict. Uh, or, or, or we can flight, we can run away from the situation, avoid it. None of that's helpful mm. in anything other than what it was originally, I'm sure, designed to do, which is like to run away from, you know, the bear that's going to kill you and your family, right? It was useful in those <laughs> circumstances. It's not very useful in the kinds of challenges we are faced with currently. And so what we need to do is not try to approach change with ourselves or other people 
in a way that is overwhelming, uh, exhausting, and fear-producing. Instead, what we need to do, it's almost like uh, tricking the brain or like slipping past the brain uh, quietly by making the change so small, so simple, that the physical, the mental, and then the physical reaction within us, it, 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 we actually can detect it. I've experienced it, and I, I know other people can as well that I've taught this to now. They, they, they can feel like a little energy burst. I can do that. I can do that. I can see myself actually doing that. And so that's what we want. We do not gain anything by producing more fear, more guilt, whatsoever. There is no upside. There is upside to helping people to make a tiny change, a tiny adjustment, and actually be able to move forward with it. Because then you get all the benefits of I'm making progress. And that doesn't mean you suddenly should add on, oh, well, I did one minute today. I'll do an hour tomorrow. No. You just mm. do a minute tomorrow. Had one minute. And you imagine how that does build over time. Well, let's not imagine the Lord teaches it. Great things are brought to pass. He's saying, you do, well, he's not, I'm saying it, but I'm applying it. You do <laughs> a minute extra to invest in each of your children. A minute each day will add that up over a few years. And those are a lot of precious moments, a lot yes. of lovely memories. So it's like, I guess to give this a name now, we're, we're talking about you creating a one-minute memory. Hmm. And adding a one-minute memory could probably be with any of your children. So it's, you only have to do it one per day. One-minute memory ongoing. When I yeah. say that to you, what's going on inside? It, it is relieving. I mean, it's just, you know, you, you uh, especially with all the resources out there and, and books you can read, and I've read many of them, right, especially in the context of parenting, you walk away thinking, okay, like the research makes sense, but where do I begin? And and now it's like this this because these uh, this reading is fresh or this concept is fresh, it's going to dominate a, a good portion of my time until the next concept is introduced to in my life, and then something has to be pushed out, right? And so, just um, it, it feels so manageable when it's just the small and simple, right? Yeah, and 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 I think that we can just we have, in a sense, to repent of this worldly thinking that. Great results come from great big sacrifices. Yeah. I'm not saying there aren't exceptions to what I'm saying. Right. But the vast majority of faithful membership of the church that that is just it's just done bit by bit. It's just done for the long haul. And that's exactly what we want. We don't want to be a great father for one day. <laughs> you know, super dad for a week. <laughs> you know, this is this is a this is a, a relatively limited value. What we want to do is not be a not to be a terrible dad ever. <laughs> right. We want to like have a sustainable approach so that we can be a, a, you know can avoid the biggest errors of being totally exhausted, overwhelmed, doing too much. So we 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 get to a certain you know avoid certain problems, and then we want to be able to just be consistently a little better, a little better over time. And it adds up so, so much better. One minute better per day over, uh, you know, over a few months, over a few years. What a difference that stuff makes. 
Yeah. And, and I'm just thinking in the context of, of the church leadership, like there's, there's so, when you're that overwhelmed, overwhelmed bishop or at least say president, like just stepping back and saying, you know, a, a great leader doesn't mean we have to take grandiose steps or, or vision. It can just be in the simple and the, the one minute every day or week or whatever it is. And uh, that's where great leadership will come. Precisely. There's a great video that was put out not very long ago that we, we were trained on um, by the new mission president. And you can find these online. Maybe put a link to it in your show notes. But uh, it's, it's basically illustrating this type of one minute, uh, well, again, to give it to label now, we'd maybe call it one minute missionary work, but it was, it shows people the small and simple things they can do. It's the best video series I've ever seen a missionary work in the church. And it has you, you know, a video of somebody texting, Hey, I'm going to give a sermon in church on Sunday. Can you, you know, can you believe that? Yeah. I'd love you to come. That's missionary work. Right. Invite focus, which I know has been a, you know, a theme that we've been taught now for a while your job is to invite their job is it's up to them what they do but you do the invite but it's these tiny invites and 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 and, and the more you go into this the more you start to realize i think we don't believe the lord when he says it like how about this how about the the scripture um where the lord says my yoke is go and finish it my my yoke is my yoke is light. Yeah, my yoke is easy. My burden is you got it. There. Oh, okay. My burden light. is light. It's all right. I shouldn't have people. I shouldn't have you right. do that. You can test me. Yeah. I have I have no my, shame. My, so. my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I didn't have to go into some obscure journal of discourses, you know, place to find that. Yeah, we didn't have to go to the periphery of the gospel canon. We're talking about, that, that is Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, at the very heart of Christian thinking, one of the great sermons of all of time. That's where he says that. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Is it? If you ask the average leader in the church, is that what they would say? Hmm. Or would they really say, describe, yeah, my service is easy. The burden is light. I know the answer, right? The answer is no. They would not describe it that way. And all I'm trying to introduce to discuss today is what if there's a different way? You know, what if there's a different way to do leadership? Different way to do life. Uh, and and while I touch upon this in, in essentialism, I am I am leaning into it heavily in my research now uh, because I, I I see it both. I see it both in the in in science. I see it in in my own experience working with people to apply essentialism. I work. I, I see it. I, I see it in church where we're successful and when we're not. Uh, and I see it in the doctrine too. So it's like we have to get out of this idea that you know, we, we, we've got to do it differently. I had an experience when I was bishop. I had a woman come to me, and I had never met her before, and I've been in the ward for years. But she came and she had the most, most interesting story. She said, she said, well, Bishop, I, uh, I get really, really active uh, for like two or three years. And she came to me. That's right. It's coming back to me now. She came asking for a calling. I'd never met her before. She's coming into the ward. 
and she's asking for a calling. So in one sense, it's like exactly what you want, isn't it? You just want to go, well, great. Yeah, I met you before, you're new, we'll give you a call, and you bet we have lots to go around happily to, to assign you. But I, I wanted to really understand a little bit more about her, and as I did, we found this really predictable pattern. It happened in her life for 20 years. She would come into the church, get baptized. When she first got baptized, she'd come in. She would work intensely, serving callings, multiple callings, whatever, until she burned herself out and would completely stop coming to church. And then a few years later, would suddenly turn back up again engage deeply, fully, and then the same pattern, and then she'd be out again. Now, that is one way to do it. That is one way. Right? That's yeah. one way to do it. <laughs> yeah. But I don't see anything in Scripture to suggest that that's how it ought to be done. I think it's a very worldly perspective that we bring, like we glasses we put on, like a glass darkly, that when we read Scripture, we, we see these see the really heroic moments and think, oh, well, that's what my everyday life ought to be. Yeah, and so we over we emphasize it's the world's perspective as we it makes us miss all sorts of scriptures that are written right there that we sort of you know we we move past. So what we did with her with this uh, with this woman that came to see me is we tried a different experiment. We said, well, what if we just do it differently right now? What if we skip the boom and the bust? What if you don't take any coin right now? And your only job is to come to church, and if that's too much, you just come for ten minutes. You just take the sacrament. And it was like, it was like this thing she never had supposed. Hmm. This had not been a possibility. You never imagined that church could be this way. And, and I suppose in some ways, neither had I. You know, this was, this was one of those good teaching moments. Let's do, it's better to do a little than to feel guilty about not doing a lot. Yes. Wow, that's powerful. Wow. And this is exactly the type of message that uh, I was hoping we'd get to today. And and just it's perfect building off of our, our last interview and some of the concepts there. And I encourage anybody who's listening to this, uh, make sure you go back and listen to that as well. And uh, before we, we sign off, I mean, is there anything we're missing, Greg? I, I sure appreciate like this, these exercises we've gone through, these questions. And I can see it's one of those things that not only can a leader reflect on in their own personal life or in their own personal callings, but this is like a energy or a, a perspective they could bring to award counsel or to award to really sift out and, and find the, the essential in their experience with the gospel. Right. Anything else we're missing that you'd want to make sure we cover before we wrap up? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I, I just, I just want to anyone listening to this to feel encouraged. Um, you know, it can be done. Uh, but the way you do it is is smaller and simpler, and tinier, and and let's cut this. Just remove layer upon layer of terrestrial and even celestial burdens that make you think that that the only way forward is through this a tremendous self sacrifice, uh, this uh, heroics. This, if I can say it this way, you know, sort of this Messiah complex. I mean, why is it that we aren't, why is it we're not always experiencing gospel living the way that Jesus said it was or could be? And I think it's because we're trying to be Christians without Christ. We're trying to be Christians, but in a worldly way. And what we covenant to do each Sunday is not to do everything for everyone now. It is not to overwhelm ourselves 
with crazy commitments that are so general we don't even know what they mean and exhaust ourselves into the ground. That is not what is in, I mean, I'm just speaking literally what's in the sacrament of prayers. It is to remember him always, to remember him. That is a lot different than some of these other burdens that we place on ourselves. Remember him in small and simple ways, trusting that as we take the tiny actions, that he will bless them, just like the feeding of the 5,000, that he will give the increase, that he's the one that makes the, 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 you know, makes the miracle happen. Our job is to do the tiny things that we receive promptings to do and not what all the other burdens might have us believe. Awesome. Love it. Um, so before we start, I need to make, uh, make sure that we touch on your, your new project that you're working on uh, with, uh, with your Essentialism podcast. And so if people want to learn more about, maybe there's people even listening who have lived under a rock and aren't aware of your Essentialism book, uh, where would you send them to find out more about you? And then how can they start listening to your podcast? Uh, for all the above, there's just one thing, <laughs> nice, small and simple for our conversation. Right, that's right. They just go to Essentialism.com. Uh, and there they can sign up for the newsletter. There's a uh, One Minute Wednesday a newsletter that, uh, that's just launched, uh, and, and they, can, they can read those. They should not find any of that overwhelming. Uh, small ways, small and simple ways uh, that you can read it in under a minute, buy it in probably under a minute. Uh, and, then, uh, and, and then there's a, every Monday uh, there's a, a, a podcast. I'm doing it with... Uh, various interesting individuals. I found them fascinating conversations. Uh, David Allen was just on. He's the author of Getting Things Done. Uh, Ariana Huffington was on recently talking about why we need to focus on what's essential now. Uh, but I'll tell you an, an episode, I'm not quite sure when it will drop, but one that I think is fascinating was was with a nurse from England. Uh, for, she works in the NHS there, the National Health Service. She's on the front lines of COVID. Uh, and we just did the entire episode was just basically an intervention, for want of a better word, what she's mm. struggling with and how essentialism and this thinking we've talked about today as well can help to make her life more sustainable, more doable in challenging times. And I, I, that's been one of my favorite conversations so far. So that people can sign up to subscribe so that they can listen to that. Yeah. And uh, obviously anywhere if, where you're listening to this podcast, just go to the search bar and I'm sure you can uh, find it easily there. And I need to mention, Greg, before we, we sign off, uh, you know, I have a, a dear friend who he was a business, part for, business partner for many years and he was actually on our board of directors here at Leading Saints and he's a 38 year old. Um, he actually um, uh, died uh, suddenly from a uh, uh, had a blood clot that went to his his lungs and and he he was gone, and uh, I need to mention that uh, I went to his funeral in the Boise area. His name was Tevia, and uh, your name and book were mentioned in his funeral because he, your book impacted him so much of just finding the essence of of life. And and as I heard that, I just thought, man, I'll, next time I connect with Greg, I need to tell him that because that's what I appreciate so much about your work is it really slows us down to really ask those questions: what matters most? Because from that, you know, you really look at mortality differently that, wow, 38, you know, I'm 38. Uh, I could, you know, he was just as healthy as I was, right? And in and, and an instant is gone. And, and uh, but I'm so grateful that your work impacted him that way. So it's important that I, I uh, carry that, that message to you uh, from, from him and his family. Well, that's so touching. Um, uh, please do send me any information you have. Well, I'm sure you have information. I would love to reach out to them and, uh, and just do a small amount uh, to be able to sure uh, to 
to express my um, condolences to them and uh, my uh, appreciation uh, for sharing that and uh, for giving poignancy to to this work. You know, a book is not an entirely dead thing, uh, but it doesn't fully live either until people come and breathe life into it. And, and that's what's uh, literally been done here in, in this important way. Uh, and can be so, such an inspiration for all of us, myself included, to, to live uh, a life that is really essential. That concludes my interview with Greg McEwen. Uh, I, I just, I, can you tell how much I enjoy these things, right? Can you tell? <laughs> I just get to talk with some phenomenal people and uh, as if we're just chatting, you know, sitting at a, at a restaurant or at a casual setting and just chatting. And it is so fun. And I'm so grateful that uh, we record these so that you can join in the quality of the content in these interviews. I'd love to hear your feedback on this, what you gained from it, what inspiration came to your mind. You can go to leadingsaints.org uh, and find this interview, right? Just link to it. And then on the comment so- section, uh, leave a comment there and just tell us your reflections from this, how the, the small and simple principle can can really impact your life not only as a parent where i'm working on but also as a leader and uh, it's so helpful again i encourage you to to uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast uh, pick up your or open up your uh, podcast app uh, go to the search bar and search essentialism and subscribe and i think you will benefit from having greg McCune's voice in your ears more often And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 to gain access to remarkable interviews in the Questioning Saints Library so that you are better prepared to minister to those who've begun to question their faith. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.